Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. Tonight, I'm joined by Jordan, as you know, as Texans Thoughts uh, out there. How are you doing tonight, Jordan? I'm doing great, Matt. It's been amazing to get to talk to you again. It's been a while, and I missed you, but I'm really thankful for you having me on the podcast, and I'm excited to talk about the Texans, man. Let's get to it. Yeah, I think the last time you were on the show was the draft of 2020. We were trying to find interior defensive line prospects (laughs) for the Houston Texans, and they end up Russ Blacklocking or their wishes of like, you know, Marlon Davidson who hasn't been good and uh, was, you know, trying to get people to, I don't know, a pre, I don't know the right word to say this, but the last time I saw Marlon Davidson, all this, that pick six he had. And then he had yeah. some tweet about, you know, like uh, involving Jerry Judy after his, you know, car wreck that was very off colored and oh. not very good at all. But you know, Neville Galmore has been good in Dallas this year, at least. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can always look back at the draft and say, oh, the Texans should have drafted X, Y, and Z. What are they thinking? But I mean, it's, it's such a crapshoot, man. We're we're not the experts here. We never really know. And so it goes to show just how tough it is. But yeah, man, I have to have you on, on my channel as well for when we talk draft later, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm an old man, so you'll have to give me some notes ahead of time so I know who I need to watch and who I can't because I can't watch you know all 256 guys. I can usually watch like you know, 40, 45 maybe, not yeah. the full 256, you know, so. Um, but what, what, well, since we already kind of talked about Ross Blacklock, what do you think about Ross Blacklock this season? Because I know he had a really great game against the Titans earlier this year. It was like the first great game of his career. Um, this game today, like it seemed like he was playing a lot of three technique and he had some plays in the backfield to kind of like make things distorted for the real horizontal run game they have in San Francisco. Uh, so what is your kind of overall take on Ross Blacklock halfway, you know, almost down the second year of his career? Yeah, I think he was put in a better position to succeed this year playing, you know, the three tech position in a four, three, um, Lovey Smith prioritizing, you know, just getting upfield, being athletic. Like that's who Blacklock is. That's what we both liked out of him out of TCU. And so I think he was put in a better position to succeed, but then he's had kind of like these lingering injuries. He was on the COVID list. And so it's kind of just like hurt his ability to be really consistently impactful and, and finish plays. Like you said, like he's been disruptive here and there. Um, but he hasn't really been able to finish those plays, those high impact plays, those sacks, um, you know, even generating pressures consistently, stuff like that. And so I think he's a good guy to continue to, you know, develop. Um, but I don't think you want to like lock him in as a starter for the three tech position for next year. I think he's fine as a depth guy, but if they can upgrade the position, amazing. So that's kind of my thoughts on him. Yeah, that makes sense. And I still feel like they haven't really fully taken advantage of his skill set. Because I like you talked about, like I think what he's best at doing is using pad level leverage and just you know creating disruption and just trying to get in the backfield. And so like I think the part of the problem too with Houston this year is they've had so much trouble with outside zone teams and they play mm-hmm. a time on this season. And so you really can't defend the outside zone like that. And so like I think it's just kind of the opponents haven't really kind of been there for him. And then also like the way they just have been using him, where he's just mainly you're holding onto his gap instead of you know one gapping, trying to get back there, trying to create havoc and. It just hasn't happened, you know, you know, for him just yet. You know, playing this over defense, they've been playing a lot this year too. But I still have hope for Blacklock. I would have liked to see more of him as a pass rusher this year, just because I can't really 
Like, I think he's had like seven good pass rushes. I can remember <laughs> watching, you know, every single snap of the coaches film yeah. this year. Well, that's good. You know, it's better than nothing like he had the year before, but it's still not the consistency that you'd expect for a second round pick like this. Yeah, I, I definitely think we had some higher expectations for him because he was like one of our highest picks in, in, in a minute. Right. And so that second, I think it was 40th overall, something like that there's some expectations that are tied to that. And I definitely don't think he's, he's lived up to them fully, but I also don't think he's like going to be clarified as a bust or anything like that. So, and another, on another note, on a side note, I don't know how you've been able to keep up with watching the all 22 every single week. Like you've been doing, I stopped after like the first few weeks and I don't know what drugs you're taking to be able to do that, man, but goddamn, that is crazy. Yeah. Well, it's like, I don't know, I've always been fairly good at like coming up with like three or four things I want to do. Mm-hmm. And like the only thing I told myself, because I like, you know, with my time schedule and everything this, this season, I was like, well, the one thing I want to make sure I, be, I do is at least watch the, the coaches film for every Texans game, no matter how bad it gets this year. Yeah. And then whatever, whatever else I can write, you know, aside from doing the podcast, um, I'll make sure I can at least do those two things and then go from there on it. And I've been able to write the articles I've wanted to write. I've been able to watch as much as league in general as I've wanted to, mm-hmm. but I have been, you know, at least committed to doing that and like, you know, like I was sick this week and was there watching the watching that finishing that Chargers tape and I don't know, it was all right. It could be worse. <laughs> I mean the Chargers game was probably one of the best games of the season to watch. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And a and a lot of that has to go with, you know, Davis Mills too. And so mm-hmm. Mills earlier this year was unplayable. You know, he had quarterback ratings like below double digits, or I mean, I guess you would call it single digits in that case. Um, like they couldn't run like an actual offense at all that you'd even see like a middle school run. He was put it, put out there before he was ready because of the you know, mistake that Nick Casario made by not having an actual backup quarterback option for for Tyrod Taylor, who's a 32-year-old mobile quarterback with injury issues already to begin with. And so Mills has strung together two good games before this game in San Francisco. He was fine against Jacksonville. He was great against the Chargers, but they were missing starting quarterback Michael Davis, safety Duran James, and Joey Bosa. Like Davis is okay, but... Bosa and Duran James are like all pro caliber players who you kind of are like cornerstone players that great defense is built upon, and especially with how the Chargers scheme runs. Like, even though Houston had more players missing, like the impact that I think the Chargers have with those two guys being out probably was greater so than that. But this week, Davis Mills, after all the hope that uh, he gave to everybody the two weeks before, before garbage time, he was 15 for 26 for 106 yards, which comes out to 4.1 yards in attempt. He took three sacks and threw one touchdown, one interception. And then also with that, too, he, I think he drew like 60-plus yards in passive, defensive pass interference yeah. penalties at Brandon Cooks, too. Um, so where do you stand on Davis Mills? Are you ready to watch him be the starting quarterback in 2022? Uh, it wouldn't be my first choice for him to be the quarterback in 2022. Ideally, it's someone else. Um, but I think that's the route that they're going to go. And I, I don't necessarily fault them for that because I think he's shown just enough, especially like you said in in the past kind of two-ish, two, three games, um, he's shown just enough where, you know, okay, there's some there's some high-quality throws there. You know, I think earlier in the season, like you said, it, it was rough. It was ugly. It was horrible. Um, he came back, or sorry, he sat a few games when Tyrod came back. Then he came back, and he's shown a little bit of growth. The numbers are a bit better, but for me, it's like, it's the high-quality throws, like I said before. Like, he's actually connecting deep. He's hitting the slot fade to Brandon Cooks consistently. He had a beauty of a touchdown pass where he threw it um, back shoulder kind of outside leverage away from Fred Warner so those are kind of impressive flashes for a third round developmental quarterback that like you said probably shouldn't have been starting this year whatsoever um, so I think he's done enough to warrant you know giving him a full off season of development getting rid of Tim Kelly I don't think anybody in Houston wants him to stay um, and seeing you know what he can do with some better circumstances because he's probably has 
bottom five, like offensive situation, like everything, offensive line, weapons, play calling, all, all that combined, like probably bottom five in the league. And so asking a rookie to try and succeed in those situations, I mean, you're just not going to get that good of um, numbers anyway. So I think, you know, people really want to label him early on. And it's really tough because it's a year one quarterback and with how inexperienced he is. You want to call him a bus. People want to call him the next Andrew Luck, whatever it is. And I think the answer is always usually somewhere like in the middle. It's never on those side of the extremes. And so that's what we got to do is just kind of stay level-headed, be patient with him, give him some time. Um, he's probably going to be the guy in 2022 and we'll just take it from there. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, I still can't get over. Like, I think like, obviously the young quarterback, you want to take into account like how he's improved and everything else that goes yeah. along with it. And cause young players tend to get better. That's the way it works, but it's still kind of going back to like his overall body of work and, you know, I know for me, like, I didn't think he was good at Stanford. I just thought, yeah, like, he a lot. But, like, he's been better in the NFL showing things he didn't show in Stanford. Like, his arm strength looks better. His accuracy's been better. His pocket work's been better. Um, he's been more mobile. His ability to break tackles in the pocket and kind of create outside the structure of the offense has been better. And, like, the one thing that he was really good in Stanford, too, was throwing the ball with touch down the sideline. And now that's available a little bit more um, than we saw the past three weeks, too. And so it's like, I mean, I, I really admire Mills to go from unplayable to playable in the span of a season, but I'm still just seeing this as like he's a backup quarterback and for Mills to have, like he's had two really good games this year against New England, Los Angeles. And, you know, for those two games to happen, like there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, you know, like I would say two of those throws against New England will probably never happen again. Yeah. Um, the Chargers had the, you know, the COVID stuff that happened the week before. And also they're going up against the worst run defense in football where the Texans actually had some semblance of a run game too. And so I think if like you have hope for Mills next year, it's based off the idea that Casario is going to kind of go all in to build around him where they beef up the interior of the offensive line. They add two more pass catchers because Chris Conley's not good. And, you know, Nico Collins has problems, you know, creating separation on shorter routes and hasn't done much down the field. And Brevin Jordan's a yak machine, but he still can't block at all. And so I still think they need like upgrade two pass catching positions. And then like they need like some semblance of a run game in general, whether it's, you know, get, figure, getting a good running back who can break tackles or even just having some sort of idea like marrying your, your run and pass scheme in general as well too. And so like if you build up everything else around the offense, you say, all right, well, Mills is getting paid, you know, $1.2 million. Now we have like a surplus of like $24 million to the quarterback position and we can do these things, do these things, build the rest of the offense. And, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we can just draft a rookie quarterback in 2023, fill him in there. And now we have like a skeleton blueprint you know, put together. And I think that's like the hope, like if you're, if you're excited for Mills, I know for me, just like watching him this year and even like the last two weeks, it's just like the actual like act of it's a year later where you're older, where you're closer to death. And it's like, <laughs> I have to watch Davis Mills play 17 more football games. You know, like I can't get, I can't like get excited for that just yet. You know? Oh, trust me. I, I totally understand how you feel. I think there's just something that isn't there in terms of kind of like the wow factor of him. And I, and I think this has kind of been my whole thing about Davis Mills since he was drafted is that is the ceiling, you know, and, and talking about him as, you know, okay, sure. He can, he's not gonna be a bust. He can be a really great backup. Like maybe he can have some years as a functional starting quarterback. You know, like you said, if you boost up the offense, you pour all your resources into that, make all of his surroundings kind of like high level, then he can have a season like Baker Mayfield. He can have a season like Kirk Cousins, maybe one or two here and there. Um, but Am I going to be confident that he's going to be the guy to lead us to the playoffs in a deep run, potentially contend for the Super Bowl? I just don't think so because I don't think he's that type of quarterback that like is a franchise guy and is going to be able to um, elevate his team when his team isn't 
you know, very good. And when he's in disadvantage, disadvantageous situations, he's not really going to be a type of guy to be able to make up for that with just raw talent. And so to your point, if they pour all the resources into, um, around the offense, like there's only so much of resources that can go to the offense. Like that means you're going to take away from the defense. And right now the defense is, is still pretty horrendous. I mean, it's being masked by the fact that they've had a lot of, lot of, lot of injuries or sorry, not injuries, turnovers. Um, but they're still bottom in the league and run defense pass defense really isn't that good. If you take away the injury, sorry, the turnovers, I don't know why I keep saying injuries. Um, and so when you're looking at the team, it's all on offense. Like it's not going to be a balanced team. And I just don't think that team can go very far. Um, so I think that's the whole thing with Davis Mills is like, he's a quarterback that you need to pour a lot of offense, a lot of resources into the offense to make him look good. And those types of quarterbacks don't make you, um, don't help you with long playoff runs. Don't help you contend for a Super Bowl. And so that's kind of my, my overall thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree with that too. And like the one thing that like creates consistent year to year performance in the NFL is great quarterback play. Mm-hmm. You know, your defense has a lot of turnover year to year. And your defense is a short shelf life. Same thing with like other parts of the offense as well too. And so like if you have great quarterback play, you can be a playoff contender year after year and not really have like any questions about that. And like, I, and so like with Mills, you know, I completely agree. I think like the ceiling with him, if you build everything up and like you actually have a run game, if good pass catchers, even a good play caller, like I think you could probably maybe be a playoff team, maybe, but I think there's a lot of situations still too where like I think Mayfield's a good comparison of them where I bet you probably would get like four or five like stinkers from Mill every year, yeah. you know, where like there you'll have like you know, I think like you'll be in half the games and then you'll probably blow out three games and get blown out like three or four other games, you know. And it's just not really a spot where I think Houston going in next year, you can just be like fully happy at the quarterback mm-hmm. position. And so I don't think you can, like, you can't be in the spot in 2022 where Mills is your starting quarterback, I don't believe. I think you still have to draft a quarterback next year, whether it's in the first round, the second round, or, I mean, if, if worse comes to worse, you do the third round, or you have to bring in some sort of veteran, you know, quarterback to be able to back him up or push him a little bit with some sort of, like, level of intrigue or upside as well, too. And I just don't, I don't think there's a world where, like, after what, how Mills has performed this year, where you feel comfortable with him just being the quarterback in 2022 and that being it. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think he should have, you know, 100% like job security as the starting guy. I think you have to bring someone else in, whether that's like a late round rookie, like you said. And I mean, Nick Casario and the Patriots love doing that. They love taking those mid late round quarterbacks and just kind of like a lottery ticket. If we hit it, we hit it. If we don't, it's whatever. Um, But maybe it's a free agent. Maybe it's a guy. Maybe it's your guy, Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know. What what do you think? Is there any free agents? Vertical vertical pass extraordinaire Teddy Bridgewater this year. (laughs) Like I've every if you want to know whether or not you should watch the Broncos, just check and see if Drew Locke is in. If Locke's no. in, you just don't even bother with it all whatsoever. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I saw that like report that he wants like a twenty plus million dollar deal, Jeez. and like like when you see just random things on Twitter, and you're like, oh, I, I maybe you know enough of them kind of like happen where they are, and then you just never think them ever again. So I don't know how many of them are true or not true. Yeah. Um, but I think you could probably get Bridgewater for like one year, like fifteen million or something like that, and he's been like a really good down vertical field thrower. Um, their run game this year has been like you know, fairly average. And the biggest problem with Bridgewater is he just throws short. He just throws short of the sticks. You know, yeah. if it's third and seven, he loves to throw five yards. And then he hasn't also like won a bunch of close games at all in the fourth quarter. He doesn't really win. He doesn't. He does have like a big defining win. A lot of that's regression. You you think it'd be better over time. He had the same problem with Carolina last year. Same problem with with Denver this year too. So uh, maybe he's not a winner, but <clears throat> I think somebody like that would be good too. As far as like an upside goes, Jameis Winston would be good. Yeah. Um. Even I wouldn't even I wouldn't even 
I would not even oppose like Marcus Mariota either. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, as far as just like just taking a flyer and somebody to push Mills at least below the age of 30, and maybe you can kind of like find something unexpected. Because I think the Titans are a good example of that, where they didn't feel fully comfortable with their quarterback. They added somebody with some upside, and now they have like a franchise quarterback with them. They're back in the postseason for the third year in a row now with Tanhill too. So I think the door always has to stay open at the quarterback position until you find your quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the Mariota um, thing. First of all, I don't want to say that I think Teddy Bridgewater would be better for like the future of the Texans because I don't know, people are going to like change up my words and, and, and think that. But I think, yeah, going that route is a, is a smart route just to add some sort of insurance. And going to your Mariota point, I like that because he's still young. He's shown he can be, he can have these high moments. And when we have a quarterback coach like Pep Hamilton, who's getting a lot of praise for wherever he's been, Andrew Luck, Justin Herbert. And now even like we talked about the in-season growth with Davis Mills, like that has got to, part of that has got to be um, credited to the quarterback coach in Pep Hamilton. So if you get another guy, young guy in there like Marcus Mariota, I mean, that's another chance for Pep Hamilton to show um, show what he's made of. So I think that's a that's a good move right there. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I've like I've I like friends on the internet who like the Bills because I love the Bills. And like they all like Trubisky as well, too. They say like oh, he's gosh. been good in preseason and all that. <laughs> and like I don't like Trubisky, but you know, just yeah. the, it's the same idea. It's like yeah. regardless, I don't think who the quarterback is necessarily matters as far as the veteran thing goes. Just as long as it's somebody below the age of 30 has been able to like star in the league a little bit, um, has some sort of upside. And in case like Mills doesn't work out, your season isn't ruined if like you start with 0 and 3 or 1 and 4, and you're actually trying to make a push to the postseason too. But we just can't be, Houston just can't be in a spot where they go into 2022 and it's Mills and it's Ryan Finley or it's Mills and <laughs> Jeff you know, Driscoll moving yeah, back or, Bre- or Brett Ripien. You know, they can't be in that sort of spot. Yeah. Um, but you know a lot more about the draft than I do. What, are there any quarterbacks that you would take? Like, let's say if you're picking if Houston trade down the drafts like 24th or something, is there a quarterback that you would take at that point? Or if Houston is picking, you know, 33rd with their, or 34, I guess, I don't know, 33, 34, or 35 with their third, uh, with the third overall pick of the second round, would there be a quarterback you would take at late first round, early second round at all? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's all been talked about as not a good quarterback class. So definitely, I think picking a number three is off the table. And so what you said, looking at late first, early second, I think it's guys that, um, there's two routes that I think you could go. I think you go kind of the safer route with a guy like Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. He's a fifth year senior. So he's, he started, I believe it's like 38 games or something like that. And so when you compare that to Mills starting 11 games in college, like this guy's going to be a little bit more pro ready than him. Um, and then there's another route that you could go is kind of the high risk, high reward routes. And that's with Malik Willis out of Liberty. He's kind of their dual threat. Um, raw as a passer, but electric as a runner is super good arm strength, great athlete. Um, but he's definitely going to need a year to develop and, and kind of sit behind a veteran and just learn, um, how to be an NFL player. So those are kind of the two guys I would keep and keep an eye on, um, if they're going to go quarterback in the second round. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm excited to watch these guys as well, too, because I know there's always, you know, one or two, like they're pretty easy to fall in love with, and then they don't yeah. select one of them, you know, after all, anyways, too. Um, our first question is from at Smooth Grandmama or Grandmama. I don't know. Uh, he said the over <laughs> under uh, 11 on Davis Mill starts next year. So do you think he starts more than 11 or less than 11? That's a good number. That was a good number, Smooth Grandma. Um, I think I'd probably go with over because I feel like if they're going to kind of go all in on Mills, um, I think he's going to be given the 16 game season. I can't see him being bad enough 
to the point where, oh, they would play him 10 games and then, oh, you know what? No, we're done with him. We're just going to move on. Why not give him the last six? Because if that were to happen, that probably would have already happened this year, right? So I think he's, it only makes sense for him to take, you know, slightly of a step forward next year. How big that step is, I'm not really, I don't know how to quantify that really, but I think I'd probably take the over. What about you, Matt? I just, like, I don't know. I'm just, I just, like, like it's been, it's been hard at times to watch this football team this year. Yeah. And so just thinking about doing this all again next year and watching that many of these, you know, like, I don't know, again, Mills has had three good games this year. And so it's like, just, and I know, I know he was benched. I know, like, he wasn't ready in the whole part of it, but I still can't get over, like, how bad some of it was, you know, earlier in the yeah. year, too. Um, I would say probably so. I would say if you're going to, they're going to build around Mills and they're not going to get, like, a real star to push him and, they're going to like you know, try to build a run game and everything else. I think we'll for sure get more than 12 because if he's bad and you keep losing games, that just improves your draft position. I'm sure mm-hmm. there'll be like, you know, more quarterbacks actually drafted in you know, 2023 than 2022 as well. Yeah. That's the year to, to want to have a quarterback. There's these two, I believe they're red shirt freshmen. So one from Alabama, Bryce Young, and one from Ohio State, CJ Stroud. And they've just been lighting college football on fire. I mean, Bryce Young won the Heisman. CJ Stroud has been putting up ridiculous video game-like numbers. And so they'll be eligible in 2023. And those guys seem to be, you know, top, like might go number one and number two overall. So there's definitely big talents um, overall in the in the next year's class. Okay, that makes sense. And, and like, I guess that's not the worst in the world. It's just more like the enjoyment of life, you know? Like they go yeah. all in mills. It doesn't work out. And you have to kind of like slog your way through all these mill starts again. And you have the same conversations all over again. But I guess the only upside would be like if you have a skeleton there offensively for quarterback, you can plug and play in. Um, even if you lose, you know, the fact that the defense is bad as well, too. Like you mentioned it's been masked by turnovers. At least like you have a rookie quarterback and they're not coming into, you know, uh, like a, a yeah. complete, it's not like completely on fire whenever they come to that situation. It's at least something they can like walk into and, and feel you know, pretty comfortable that they have you know three seconds to throw the ball and they can get you know four points yards of carry instead of you know one point eight six whatever it is sometimes in these running backs. It's ridiculous this year, man. But um, yeah, no, and and I know this is the point that you've made a lot is that the most valuable like kind of contractual wise, the most valuable thing is having a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract. And so if we can build up that supporting cast. And then for a year and then go get Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, whoever it is in the year after, then you aren't wasting one of those, you know, rookie contract years as to if you were to take a quarterback this year and not have the sporting cast to support him. So that's just a small point there. But yeah. Yeah, I can really agree with that. Back whenever a uh, red blog used to have comments, there was some comment one year about how uh, rookie quarterbacks don't matter very much at all. And then immediately, like three years later, once you know Josh Allen, all that sort of stuff happened, and Deshaun Watson's gone, it's like, oh, rookie quarterbacks are really important because that's the way it, it typically works. Whenever Bill O'Brien's coaching your football team, um, our other question, since you alluded to Pep Hamilton earlier, this is from fan of HAU Sports, and he asks thoughts on Pep Hamilton's resume. Is he going to be the next offensive coordinator in Houston, or is he in the terrible co- coordinator, great quarterback coach category? It's tough to tell because, especially with positional coaches, and even coordinators like you never truly know what they're responsible for was did he make andrew luck andrew luck did he make justin herbert justin herbert like we don't know like those guys are both super talented quarterback prospects um coming out of college so I, I can't say it's all pep hamilton right but i do i'm a high i'm high on pep hamilton i'm a fan of him i'm a fan of his resume i mean he's got a lot of experience he came into the nfl in 2000 he's worked for 
five or six, over five or six teams. I think Texans are like a seventh team now. He's been a quarterback coach. He's gone to the college ranks. So he's gone to these different areas of experience. He was the OC for Stanford. Then he was the OC for the Colts. And he helped improve their offense. I mean, the Colts, I have the numbers here. And, and so he was the OC from 2013 to 2015. Um, in 2011, so I was kind of just looking like backwards, like kind of what offense he inherited. In 2011, they were at 15 points per game, which is 28th. In 2012, they were at 22 points per game, which was 18th. Then 2013, when he takes over, they got to 24 points per game, which ranked 14th in the NFL. Then they increased to 28 and were 6th in the NFL. And then in 2015, his last year, they were down to 20 points per game, but that was because Andrew Luck only played um, seven games that season. So then he got fired and and, and then he bounced around to the XFL and he was a head coach there. So I think his resume is, is one that, you know, has a lot of good stops, has some good production there. And another benefit of keeping him is that it allows a little bit of continuity for Davis Mills. And he gets to keep kind of his guy who's been there all along for, for him, um, at least with the Texans. And and rumors are that Pep has some sort of say on this offense this year. Um, and so that would help with the continuity because you don't really want to mess around with the rookie quarterback too much and, and throw them all these new offensive coordinators. Like I think it was like Marcus Mariotti, actually funny enough, we talked about him that he had like four offensive coordinators in his first three years or something crazy like that. And people always blame the Titans for that. But um, yeah, I like Pep Hamilton, man. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing about Hamilton is that like, you know, like the idea of like what type of offense he, he could run would make sense. Cause like you would think, you know, a Stanford guy and everything else that like, he could run like a power pull heavy offense that mm-hmm. runs a lot of play action, you know? And you know, based off, I think the Casario too and the Patriots, you know, one of the things that people forget about the Patriots is that they've always had great offensive lines. They've always had great run game too. Like it's of course, Tom Brady taking you know, a cheaper contract to mean the best quarterback of all time. Like that spread all their success year to year. But throughout that time, they always had great offensive lines that they didn't invest a ton of resources into. And they always ran a really great power run scheme also. And so I think with Hamilton, if the Texans can identify the sort of run blockers um, and then just like get a, a good, you know, power run attack to throw a play action off of, or Mills can like take shots deep, you can turn the clock out and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's an avenue there. And like, it makes sense, you know, um, schematically for it. It's just one of those things with position coaches, you just don't really mm-hmm. know what they do or don't do and if they're good or not good. And now it's like, you have to like, for our, like our vantage point, typically you have to wait and see until they're actually calling an NFL offense until you know if they're good or not. And then by, by then it's already kind of like too late, you know, to a certain extent. Um, but I think the idea of it makes sense that that's what his offense would be like. And also I do have hope, like it'd be better than Tim Kelly because this is you know the worst offense in football this year. Um, and he's, you know, like, unlike Lovey Smith, like he hasn't made the changes throughout those two that you'd expect, you'd expect for a team that's being coached as bad as it is like week by week too. Um, but like Hamilton seems nice. And I think like the, if you're going to keep David Coley for a year too, it doesn't make much sense to go out and get a new offensive coordinator. It makes more sense to just, you know, get somebody internally to bring up if you're going to keep Coley around also and to see what he has. And if they can get the offensive line run game and throw play action, throw deep off of, you know, maybe there's a chance that Mills have success in that sort of scheme too. For sure. Yeah. I think he, his best, the best way to utilize Mills is to just allow him to play complimentary football and make his job as easy as possible. Like he's dealing with the 32nd ranked run game with Rex Dam, Burkhead, Royce Freeman, like all these guys that shouldn't be in the NFL right now, a patchwork offensive line. Like, so I, I'm definitely with you on that. The idea of it um, is, is very intriguing to me. Um, of course, there's always going to be some other maybe sexier names out there. I know people love Joe Brady, I mean, he just got fired from the Panthers. I don't know how hot of a candidate he is did right you, now. Did you, uh, did you do a victory lap in your apartment after he <laughs> was fired? No, no. I mean, I just, I just, I didn't think he'd be ready to be a head coach. 
but at the same time, I don't. I think he was kind of unfairly scapegoated by the Panthers because they all the injuries that they were dealing with. I've I've heard some horrible things about Matt Rule and and his ability as a head coach. So I think he was scapegoated a bit, a little bit. Um, but I I definitely I I think I was right in saying that he shouldn't have been you know a head coach um, mm. this season. Yeah, the biggest thing I, I picked up for your article or your video, whatever I can't remember what it was. Um, but the screen passes and how bad the screen game was. Mm. Like all this year, whenever I watched Panthers, I'm like. There's another bad screen pass. There's another <laughs> one. I, I'll never forgive Carolina though for going all like making the trade for Sam Darnold and then not having offensive line for him. And like putting Pat F line in front of him again. It's like we know what it looks like. We yeah. watched this for three years. You know, like he has to have an offensive line. He can make some, you know, highlight throws, make like five really big throws a game or whatever. Um, and then once once uh you know Christian was out, that was the whole year kind of disappeared as well, too. But going back mm-hmm. here to complimentary football and Davis Mills, you know, last week against the Chargers is the first, you know, good rushing performance the Texans have had all year. And I guess it was the best rushing performance they've had since week 16 against Cincinnati the year before when David Johnson ran for like 130 yards because they just played out like shotgun and empty and they had five guys in the box and David Johnson just like if the center got to the the Mike linebacker, David Johnson would get like seven yards every single time um, by playing the worst run defensive football. And then against the Jaguars, the run offense wasn't good, but they just didn't get give a bunch of negative plays or like zero yard gains. So they constantly got like two yards, three yards. And they were a lot three and sixes and three and fours instead of three, nine and third and 11s. And this week is a little bit different. Houston was only five for 15 on third down. The running backs averaged 3.27 yards to carry. Mills was sacked three times and hit eight times and hit eight times. Um, in the previous two weeks, also Houston was able to pass protect well and set up these easier third down attempts too. And so I think this is a good example of, you know, what happens to the Texans don't play complimentary football, Davis Mills. And if they are going to like you know try build build around Mills next year, there's a lot of things they have to work on in that regard. Uh, what do you think is the biggest thing that Texans need to fix next year if they are going to actually build around Mills for 2022? Yeah, I think without a doubt, it's definitely I guess personnel wise, it's definitely the offensive line. Um, I'm a big believer in the trenches. I'm a big believer that you know the the top offenses need to have top offensive lines as well. It's just not something that is easily schemed around. I mean, you can to an extent, but only so many play callers in the NFL can. And so if you have that good offensive line, I mean, it, it opens up everything for complimentary football, run game, pass game, everything. And so, I mean, we saw it this week, I think in the first half, like the pass protection was, was solid. It was fine. I mean, Mills actually had time to sit in the pocket and go through his reads and, and even hit his check down occasionally. But then in the second half, like it seems like they just got worn out by the, by the 49ers front and the 49ers, they love to rotate their defensive line. I mean, they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're necessarily deep, but they, they do like to rotate them. And so they were kept fresh. Our guys couldn't um, hold up in the second half, could not protect Mills at all. I mean, he was hitting the top of his drop, and then there's already a guy in front of him that was beat and that was generating pressure on him. So, I mean, he's not the type of quarterback that is going to be able to beat pressure consistently and to run away from him. He's not Deshaun Watson like in that sense. And so they definitely need to do a better job of enforcing the offensive line, getting guys who can pass protect and run block, not just one or the other, um, to give Davis most the best chance possible. Yeah, and this game, there's like a couple of plays that really kind of come to my mind. One was that third down attempt where he's looking for the out to Brevin Jordan, and it was covered, and they were cutting on it. Um, mm. And then and it was like out of tie alignment too. And then once that was covered, he tried to look to the right, and there was a pre- pass rusher in his face. There is that weird kind of like half slide they have where uh, – Jaron Christian helped on the B gap instead of blocking that uh, Willis guy. And then watched this guy play football at all and gave a really easy sack where Willis is pretty much untouched off the edge. And then there was, of course, that third and eight um, set or that third and three sack, whatever it ended up being 
where both the whole right side of the line got li- got liquefied, you know, where Heck gave up the pass rush on the interior move, and he got beat a few times that interior swim this game too. And then the Cray pretty much got, you know, pancaked off the interior bull rush also. And then that set the longer Fairbairn field goal, and he missed, and the game was pretty much over after that. But I do agree. I think they passed protective well in the first half. And then for whatever reason, the second half, it kind of disappeared. And I, I think, like, I don't know, like you mentioned, they're just a really kind of deep run. They can kind of wear you down. And it seemed like they te- the Texans' kind of idea was to, you know, Bosa was against Heck in the first half, and they chipped the line, helped him out there. And then the second half, it seemed like they moved Bosa around more. He was rushing on the interior. They even gave him that spinner look a few times where he was a stamp rusher over the interior, too. And it seemed like they were able to kind of generate more interior pressure and kind of force Mills, like, rolling outside the pocket where he doesn't have as much success, kind of rolling backwards, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So hopefully that they can, that's something that they can do. I know in terms of the tackles, like the offensive line is such a weird group because like it's probably just Titus Howard that you'd want to come back. I mean, it seems like Laramie Tunsil is kind of came to a mutual agreement of, of not playing for this rest of the year since his thumb um, surgery. Um, and so who knows what his future is like. I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. But after Titus Howard, I mean, there's really not anyone else that you'd want to come back and say, okay, I'm confident in them being a starter level offensive line, offensive lineman for 2022, right? So I think definitely a lot of resources need to be poured into the interior of the offensive line, definitely, because the guard play was horrendous today. Britt, I mean, he's an upgrade over Nick Martin, but who isn't? Like you and I both are as well. So I think they definitely need to get like at least three new offensive, interior offensive linemen. Yeah, I don't know if I would. I'm not very I'm not a very good hit bender at all. You know, I can't I can't get the leverage at all to to reach one techniques. Maybe you though. I'm not I'm not flexible enough to play that position. But yeah, I mean I think so too. Like I think Howard for sure, you know, you bring back. Um, you know, and like I know like you weren't a fan of heck in the draft. I was until mm-hmm. so I watched like his junior stuff where he's playing right mm-hmm. tackle. Because like, he was a good right tackle in North Carolina, but they moved him to the left side and he was awful there. And like heck, like he's kinda like Davis Mills where he went from unplayable to like playable, you know. Or, like, I think he's still a second-string caliber right tackle. But if something happens and, like, you have to move Howard, you know, to left or make some rearrangement gets in the starting lineup at right tackle, it's not the worst thing in the world. You're not going to lose games because of it. But you may have to help him out some and everything else. But Heck's just interesting only because he just, he just gets better, you know? Like, he's gone from, like, you know, awful last year at times to like being, like, you know, underwhelming. And that's a big jump from where he's come from. And so... <laughs> Maybe if you add another year and he looks like he's gotten stronger and bigger too, and he seems really committed to the game, you know, maybe if you add another year to that, um, you have some level of like starring caliber, you know, offensive tackle as well too there too. But I agree, like it's kind of ties Howard and then you can kind of keep and take the rest of it um, going into next year too. For sure. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about, um, I, I agree. I think his pass protection has gotten a bit better. I think like his mistakes are just very like loud mistakes in a sense where like when he messes up, like, the quarterback's getting sacked. Like it's not like he can recover a little bit and push him past the pocket and make it manageable. Um, so I think his mistakes are very loud and impactful in that sense. But I'm, um, what do you think about his run blocking? Have you seen that improve as well? Yeah, the one thing he does well is he makes that like slide step down block on the B gap really well. And like mm-hmm. if he ever gets like you know there's that first double team on power runs, he's been really good at moving that three technique um, throughout this year. It's like it's just weird. Like his like steps are perfect, his hands are perfect. Like he executes that block. You know, really well and has done that um well this season. But like in one versus one blocks, he's not gonna really drive guys, but he hasn't been like, you know, laying on his back and whiffing. Um it's, I would say like 90% of the time it's at least like unspectacular with heck in the run game, but you don't seem like really kind of crushing guys and and being like the like moving the line of scrimmage actively unless he's making that down block on as the play side double team on those power run plays. 
For sure. Yeah. And I guess if we're talking about kind of like the, the complimentary football, the New England Patriots style of, you know, have that dominant run game and then play action off of it, I guess you kind of want guys that if there's anything that you kind of want to prioritize, maybe prioritizing guys that can actually really run block and then you can kind of scheme around the deficiencies in the past game, chip them, like you said, use play action, um, stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe that's just that's just kind of some thoughts I'm throwing out there about yeah. the one. Well, that's why you're called Texans thoughts. You know, you throw out these thoughts. <laughs> exactly. I like, also, I like uh, Hex like rubber elbow braces. Like I've only seen those like creating a wrestler in like WWF SmackDown N64. <laughs> like you just don't see those really anywhere at all in the NFL. Um, and like you know, going back to kind of like this run game thing. You know, the Texans have the worst run game in the NFL this year. It's Rex Burkhead's team. And I, and like my personal opinion with offensive line is kind of like the issue that the Texans have, where they invested a ton of resources into it. But because the scheme is bad, because the running backs are bad, it doesn't necessarily pan out. Um, also, like when you just because you invest resources doesn't make it good. Also, and especially mm-hmm. if you're rearranging things, there's not any continuity. And so Texans have like invested a lot in their offensive line, and still have had bad results too. And so I still think with the you know, offensive line play, you don't have to spend a ton of money. You don't you have to use a ton of high draft picks on it, but you have to have good offensive line coaches. You have to have a good scheme. And you had to have like, you know, a running back can break tackles, that sort of thing. And I think just like knowing your identity. And that's been one of the most frustrating things about watching a Tim Kelly offense this year is this like commit to the run game and they just run like a lost play outside zone doesn't work. And we had a question from at fan of HOU sports and asked what was the biggest change to run game these last two weeks. And it just seemed like they ran a lot more like duo inside zone instead of mm-hmm. running outside zone that did to start the year. And, and you were awful at it without really having the personnel to do it as well either. And so I just don't like, I just think they just need a better job, like management wise of like knowing this is the scheme we're going to run in the run game. You know, and these are the players that we need to have to do it. And then just like going out and getting them. They've had just such a mismatch of styles to the offensive line for the last like five, six years or so now. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think anyone, I mean, we've talked, you've talked a lot about how, you know, Tunsil, Titus, they're not really good run blockers, sharpening as well. And, and the guys that they added this year, um, I mean, McCray, Taylor, Britt, I mean, they're not really like starter level run blockers whatsoever. And their their skill sets definitely don't match. I mean, the outside zone, like just none of those guys are like, they're all big guys, but they're not athletic enough and mobile enough, like laterally to actually make those reach blocks that you need to attack horizontally. And so I, I completely agree with you on that sense. And I guess to your point about what's changed kind of like Rex Burkhead isn't that guy either that you want running outside zone. You just want him to go run up the middle, go hit the hole as hard as it can and, and go get those three, four yards and, and kind of fall forward. Cause he's, if there's anything I'll give him credit for, he, he's a bit of a tough runner. Like he's, he's not going to go down on first contact in the chargers game. I mean, he embarrassed some defenders with some, with some juke moves. Um, but how do you feel about him potentially being a, a running back for the Texans next year? Yeah, it's funny because it's been like a and then there were none situation with the running back group, you know, with Mark Ingram getting traded for the funniest like I don't know draft acquisition resource I've ever seen a, th- a pick you know in the seventh round three years from now, and then uh, David Johnson being off like we expected and Scotty Phillips being hurt and you know and everything else has kind of gone along with it. I mean, I think like what Burkett's been good at doing those, they just run duo inside zone and he just reads the middle linebacker and then he makes a cut off the middle linebacker. Like he's been good doing that. I can't the linebacker he really embarrassed last week against the Chargers. He's like a second year player, some weird name. And they yeah. had to play Kevin Murray at defensive end pretty much because Bosa was out. Like Murray hasn't been good in the pros as well either. Um, like he's been good in that aspect of it. I mean, I, I would you would expect he would be here for like 
a one-year contract next year, but it's the same thing. Like youth and upside is what matters in that department as far as the the running the running back group goes. Um, so we had a question here from at Fanatic GM, and he or she asked, I don't know, I haven't talked to this person on the internet before. Uh, arguments to trade Tunsil and to keep Tunsil in play. So give me your argument for why you should trade Laramie Tunsil this offseason. Um why we should trade Laramie Tunsil is essentially number one with age. I mean, he just doesn't really fit the timeline of the team. Number two, with his contract, and I think we'll probably take a, a, an ugly hit if we do trade him, but in the long term, you kind of need to get off that contract to be able to you know, pour resources into other areas um, and spend it on, on some younger guys when we are going to contend. Um, number three, I think we're seeing kind of that Tunsil you know, is a really great pass protector, but as a run blocker, we consistently see other guys come in and, and have the same, if not better, results. Guys like Roger Johnson last year, guys like Jerron Christian this year. And and don't get me wrong, like there is a, a drop-off in terms of pass protection from Tunsil to Christian, but it's at the point where that drop-off isn't big enough to where it warrants paying Tunsil as much as you're paying him um, to be, you know, an elite. Top three, I think it, it is left tackle money. And he's not a guy like Trent Williams. You know, I, I when we first made the trade for him, I, I thought he was. But I think over the past two seasons of what we've seen of him, he's not at that level. He's not on that caliber. And so at that point, you kind of have to avoid the the sunk costs that, you know, we invested two first rounds and, and two seconds rounds or whatever it was at this point. I'm trying to erase anything Bill O'Brien related from my memory. Um, you have to avoid that and just think, hey, it's about the future. We got to move on as a new regime. We got to do what's best for the future. And it sucks trading away another talented player. That seems what Houston's been doing for the past few years, but it's what's best for the future. So, yeah, I I think the thing about I didn't like that's the probably the biggest thing about it. It'd be thing about Tensil, like even if you don't think about the contract at all and the mm-hmm. fact that he's owed twenty six million dollars next year to be like a top ten pass pr- protector. And like to be allergic in the run game like he is. And like the athleticism there is there. Like all the tools are there. But for whatever reason, he just doesn't have any interest in like really making his fingers hurt and you know, smash his head around at all. Which like I guess whenever you put it that way, it makes sense yeah. why he doesn't like to run block as much as he does. Um, but just like you mentioned, you know, he doesn't it's like the marginal benefit of yeah. like him compared to these other guys that they brought in on a limb. And also like him compared to Tyus Howard. Like Tyus Howard's probably 90% of the pass protector he is already after playing, you know, four games at left tackle. And Tyus Howard doesn't have a very high captain next year. And so you can see what Tyus Howard does at left tackle. And then he could probably be your future left tackle there, you know, for the next 10 years after that. And you're not having to pay him $26 million and you extend him. You probably pay him like $18 million instead. And now, like, getting into like the salary cap portion of it, you can't pay Tensel $26 million next year. And so you're going to have to extend to a long term contract. And then at that point, you're saying you're committing a large you know, chunk of your salary cap to this one position without a quarterback, without a run game, without the rest of your offensive line, missing pass catchers and missing everything else. And it's like he doesn't score points like yeah. left tackles are important, but they're not that important um, at the end of it. I think a lot of this about the position has been overblown. And it's more about like having like continuity and having like a good offensive line altogether. And just having like one great left tackle doesn't do that for you, you know? Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's a five-man position group, you know, and we've seen that a lot of the time it's kind of like how, how do I word this? You can be like really weighed down by like one person 
one kind of weak link, but you're not going to be carried by one really strong player. So it's almost like you want to have like three good guys and two kind of decent guys rather than two elite guys and three horrible guys in a sense. So I completely agree with you. I think you got to kind of spread the love in terms of the offensive line spending um, distribution. You've got Titus. You can go get some guys on rookie contracts in the in the draft with hopefully all the draft picks that they'll be getting from Deshaun Watson trade. Um, who knows if that's going to happen or I don't really know at this point, but yeah, I I'm, I'm with you on, on that in terms of the Tunsil trade. Yeah. And like the Texans never had a offensive line with Tunsil also. And so it's like, just be, like you mentioned, it's a, it's a five position group. It's a five player, you know, position group all working together would be good. And I even mm-hmm. think too, pass protection, it's past five players that you include your running back. Your quarterback is the biggest indicator of like year to year success and pass protection yeah. too, whether, whether it's like, you know, sacks taken or, pressure rate and also goes in line with your offense your offensive coordinator and so like it takes like a whole like ecosystem to be able to you know protect the quarterback well and tensile what he does is that he neutralizes like nick bosa you know like nick bosa has one sack instead of three sacks against you or he makes sure that yank and gakwe has you know zero production against you when he's matched up one versus one out there and like that's what he does for you and i just don't think it's worth you know 26 million dollars for a team that needs young talent and is kind of like the cap spot that they're in right now too yeah, I think he I think the good way to think about it is he's kind of like a nice cherry on the top. Like if you already have three good three solid guys you can depend on, then you add him, okay, then I can go lock down there like you said, the opposing team's alpha pass rusher. Um but for a team that's starting from scratch, it's just like the marginal benefit of it versus adding maybe two pass and a running back, like just you gotta you gotta be able to weigh those different decisions, and so I think, as unfortunate as it is, um, I mean, Tunsil's a great guy and and all that. But I think that that's what the smartest thing for this team is. Yeah, I'm also kind of mad at him too. The fact that he's like, I don't know, I think he's making like 18 million dollars this year, 20 billion, whatever it is, and he's been out this whole time with this UCL tear. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, suffered the same injury, and he's may miss one week, you know, and yeah. uh, and like I think it was on his non throwing hand or whatever. But it's just like how long he's missed and everything else has come along with it. Maybe it's like you mentioned, it's like an internal thing in the Texas organization that says, just like, you don't need to play. We're going to move on from you after this year. Just hang out and be healthy and um, and that sort of thing. Have you have you watched Rashawn Slayer much at all this year? Um, I didn't. I haven't a little bit. Not the, not as much this year. I watched him a good amount um, in college. At, I think it was Northwestern. I've seen a few mm-hmm. clips. I've heard that he's just been a freaking dominant force and that's kind of rare for a rookie tackle to be as good as he is so it's kind of it's kind of crazy in that sense yeah he, he pass protects just like tunsil like when i was watching the because i had a chance to watch much like the all 22 from other teams and so i was especially once people stopped reading that game preview that was taking me like you know 12 hours to ride or whatever it was <laughs> yeah. um but, that we got like on the verge of like you know schizophrenia but the Rashawn Slayer, like Rashawn Slayer looks just like Laramie Tunsil in pass protection right now. Wow. And uh, it's like, just like how quick his feet are, how good his hands are. And it's been a lot of fun watching him, like, especially if they make the postseason here pretty much too. So can you make the the case why you should not trade Laramie Tunsil? Um, why we should not trade Laramie Tunsil is, I guess, We've already made. I mean, we, you guys know how our, what our stance is on this, but I guess to play devil's advocate um, for the sake of it, for the question, this team is so barren of talent already. You kind of don't really want to be taken away um, from one of your probably five best players on the team, um, and so there's one argument. I guess another argument would be. Um, 
you know, there is that drop off in pass protection, like I said, between him and Christian. Like we we just talked about a whole lot about that. You know, it's a five man unit and whatnot. But there is a drop off in in some sense. He is that guy that can shut down the 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 blue chip rushers. Um, but I mean, apart from that, I mean, you guys, you, you can tell where we kind of stand on this trade. What, what do you have to add, Matt? I, I will. I refuse to make to participate <laughs> in this part of it. I'm just so tired of, like of watching Tensel play. He just makes me so mad as a run blocker. You know, it's just been fresh. Like watching him and Tyus Howard, like outside zone block earlier this year on the left side mm-hmm. line, was just I don't know. It was just such a mess, and so I don't, I won't, uh, I won't give into this one. What's the minimum you would take to trade Laramie Tunsil? Um, the minimum is probably like two second round picks. I think asking for a first, like that's probably all you're gonna get, and it's probably going to be a late twenties first round pick and you're probably not going to get a second or a third or a fourth or whatever like that. So probably two seconds or like a late versus probably the minimum I would take for him. What about you? Yeah. I, I still like a, an early second is the minimum I would take. Um, but like, I think you can get late first, early second for him. I know rivers brought up like what he would do probably a 2023 first round pick. And I think that probably the best course of action. Cause at least that way, maybe you can like, it's a lottery ticket where you can scratch your way into being like a top 10 or top five pick on accident. Kind of see what happened in Miami and the Houston trade as well too. And so I think that would be another possibility um, for Houston there as well. So our next question here is from at Smooth Grandma again. And he asks, who's more likely to return next year? Jacob the Goat Martin, Justin Reed, or Laramie Tunzel? Oof, that is a tough one. Because those are three guys that I can see the team all moving on from. Or, the, you know, there's some arguments to be made for for both sides of it to bring them back. I think... I guess if I had to choose one, who um, be because he doesn't have market. Like I, I think Tunsil is a pretty safe bet to be traded. I think Jay Reed. I just can't see why he would want to be here, to be honest. And I think he probably has a bigger market than than Martin would. And so Martin would probably be more likely to come back here. And and whether that's as if the Texans value him as a starter, or if that's if they value him more of as a designated pass rusher. Um, but I think he probably has has the best chance out of those three. Yeah, maybe it's like a one year contract or something like that. Yeah. I I think Jacob Martin's can go to Carolina though next year and Oof. just replace Hassan Reddick once Reddick gets a big contract because he's playing Matt Rule at Temple and everything else. And I just think like I know Carolina plays a four three, but it's kind of like a three four with how they drop their mm-hmm. in rushers with you know Burns and Reddick like that. And so I I could see him going there. I just would like to see him in a three four team because it's just been just kind of sad watching him like on the edge. Like yeah. in, in the run game, then especially like he, the way he gets targeted on pools and any sort of misdirection, you know, where he has to squeeze that gap. He's had some problems doing that too. And uh, like they just don't have like a cohesive pass rush also where, you know, he has just like his chop rip and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so I think he'd be better off just being a bullpen pass rusher or playing on a 3-4 team or you know, kind of go in some place that better fits his skill set, you know. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I got very excited about his his potential when he first came here and, and that he flashed a lot in, in minimal snaps. But then we're kind of seeing that with that expanded role and as, as a true defensive end, um, he's just not going to produce kind of like a starter quality level of play. Um, he he was I, I always made the argument that last season he was a better run defender than, than Whitney Merciless and better run defender than Brendan Scarlett. So, OK, like he should be seeing the field a little bit more than those guys. But we're seeing that. Yeah, that might have been true, but he's still not a good overall run defender, um, especially as a, as a true defensive end, like you mentioned. So, yeah, I think unfortunately just it's his his time here might be might be coming to end to an end um, and he could have a better, you know, kind of prove it contract somewhere else. 
Maybe the Titans. You know, the Titans love the next Texans, and so maybe you can go there and play in their three four and get mm-hmm. like you know six seven sacks or whatever you know, and have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I think the designated pass rush role for sure is um, is where he can he can wreak some havoc. As long as they're not lining him up on the interior and rushing him from like the a gaps, as long as they're not dropping him in coverage, like he can still be a very effective player um, with that speed off the edge for sure. Mm-hmm. So defensively, San Francisco. I mean, offensively, San Francisco on their end did a couple of things well this game. Their outside zone cutback was always open. They threw to the sideline off the boot pretty well too, and they created big plays. There was that deep in against cover three to Debo Samuel where Eric Murray you know, missed the tackle, save a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk broke a broke a slant route after Justin Reed you know, did his like patent like you know, leaping run tackle. Um, and usually like he crushes people like it, but Ayuk is too strong and bounced off of it, broke a big gain off that. Uh, Kittle had the one hand catch up the scene that kind of clinched this game too. And then uh, Elijah Mitchell had one big run as well um, in this one. Why, like, one of the things like that's happened throughout the years, the Texans have had a ton of problems against outside zone heavy teams. Uh, do you have a, a hypothesis for why this keeps occurring to them? Um, I'll give you kind of two reasons. I think one is in terms of setting the edge. Our ends are are not the greatest. We just talked about Martin um, in terms of that. I think Renard, he's fine at doing it, but he's not someone who's going to consistently, you know, drive the tackle or, or the tight end back into the backfield and, and force that cutback lane. Um, number two is, I guess, I mean, this is kind of a run defense thing as a whole, but our linebackers are just horrible at getting off blocks and, or evading blocks altogether. Um, and then I guess kind of another point for the wide zone, particularly is that our corners just aren't very good in terms of, coming down, being aggressive, and, and also being kind of that force player. So those would kind of be my hypothesis. Yeah, that makes sense. And they also like doing that weird thing, too, where they loop the playside linebacker all the way back across the formation to yeah. one versus one tackle chances. Like, it worked against Miami. Like that's why Neville Hugh had 12 tackles. And then you do it against a team that actually knows how to run the scheme. There's <laughs> more problems with it, too. But yeah, I think it goes back to linebacker play. Um, and they just also, like, they don't... They just have problems like with speed, I think, too, on defense. Where mm-hmm. whenever you're having to out like run around and try and chase these guys out in space, they've had problems doing that um, as well. Too, like, they try to play cover three to get the extra guy in the box to make up for it, and like it's been better than nothing. But they're still just as such a, a deficiency of talent in the front seven, and the fact of like they just don't have any impact players there. You know, like I think Grenard could be the third best player in a good front seven. Um, Grugier Hill has been like a surprise signing; has worked out. Uh, Collins has been like the best interior rusher they've had since Antonio Smith, but none of these guys are like the cornerstone that you have to build a defense around. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why that's what gets me kind of excited for the draft and hopeful um, that the Texans can maintain their, their top three pick because the best players in this class are two edge rushers and they're guys that they get after the pass and they stuff the run too. So guys like Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, those are kind of, you know, our prize at the end of a long, painful Texans season. So hopefully we can make those additions and, and get that kind of guy who can be, you know, the, like, like you said, like Grenard is, is a, is a great number three. I think he can be a, a good number two, kind of like in, in a Whitney merciless, like he can be that kind of Robin type of guy, but you need to find that Batman. And so hopefully they can, they can find that in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other weird thing about this game is watching Trey Lance. Like I watched him earlier this year where he was just like a coward as a runner, wouldn't like go through tackles at all. <laughs> that third and eight scramble where he like steps out of balance, like one yard short yeah. instead of just like going through Grugier Hill, who he probably outweighs by 20 pounds, was kind of embarrassing. And then he had that pick that Desmond King peeled off on the wheel route. It looked like cover two, you know, and picked that one off. But like, he did have like some big plays this game. And it was kind of yeah. the same thing with them where, you know, it's a lot of stuff after the catch. It's stuff off of play action and bootlegs too. 
And it's like, I know you watched the draft last year. This is my first experience watching Trey Lance. Like, are you surprised by kind of some of his struggles this year? Was he always a project to begin with? Uh, what's your take on Trey Lance and how he's been so far this year compared to kind of like his draft slot last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lance was, you know, always going to be a developmental guy. He was always raw, but he was a guy with like a ridiculous ceiling. I mean, just elite arm talent, athleticism. He was a more physical runner at NDSU. So I don't know, maybe that's just something with Kyle Shanahan doesn't want him to get injured and whatnot. Um, but he was definitely kind of like this boomer bust developmental guy um, coming out of college. Um, he didn't play against the best competition and he's only played, I think before today, I saw something on Twitter where before today, he'd only played in two football games in the past two years. So that kind of slow start for him made sense to me. Um, like you said, he threw the pick, he made some other just kind of bad misses and bad plays. Um, but then he kind of seemed to settle down a little bit, seemed to improve, seemed to kind of just play within the offense and, and do what was necessary because I'm sure they kind of still had the training wheels on him um, and not really trying to ask him to do too much. So I don't want to say, oh, he just completely shocked the world in his debut. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, he's still playing against the Texans defense, but I thought he was fine. I think he did what he like was supposed to do against bar- barring the circumstances and I guess if I'm like a Niners fan or like, I wouldn't be like worried about Trey Lance or whatever. I'd be kind of just more excited to see, to see more from him. Yeah. I, I mean, like that's the thing. It's like, I, I agree the passing stuff, you know, as far as like the way he's played this year, like expect his passing stuff to be kind of slow, but just mm-hmm. watching him as a runner has just been you know, so yeah. despairing. Cause like, I don't like I've watched I've watched some of his clips and read some stuff about him last draft stuff. And so I thought he could be kind of like an RG3 sort of player in this Shanahan offense where they have the quarterback as a running option too. I can unlock a lot of you know deep passing throws available to him. And he's just been such a bad runner where there really hasn't been that aspect to it. You think even though he hasn't played, you know, that much the last two seasons, he'd still be a good runner in that regard. And it just hasn't happened. Like he took some nasty hits against Arizona. Uh, he refuses to like run four for yards. He gets crushed whenever he gets hit too. And so maybe he's just running too high and like he just has too high of a center of gravity going into you know the point contact. But that's been the frustrating thing for me watching you know Trey Lance play this year. Yeah, I hear you on that because I feel like that was the whole thing. That was a big element of kind of the difference between him and, and Jimmy G is that okay, Kyle Shanahan now can add a different element to the offense, the read option, the run game, quarterback powers, whatever it is. Um, and I guess. I don't know, maybe they're saving it for later because I remember in the preseason, like when they, they would bring him in for like red zone packages and just have him run certain stuff like that. And I don't know, he seemed fine as a runner, rusher to me, but I haven't watched as much as as much as you have this year of him. So I'll, I'll defer to you. Um, but hopefully that's something that they can they can work on um, in the future. Yeah, I'm, well, I I guess I actually probably have watched all of Trey Lance's <laughs> starts this year because I watched like all the SF games start the year and then I, I came back around the sign, you know, for him on, on the new year. Um, this year as well too. Did you see that play they ran today where they ran an in the round counter option? <laughs> so like they ran counter where but then Lance is mm-hmm. reading the backside defensive end. And if he's in like so reading off that, he decided to give the in the round. And that's where Jacob Marr had like that tackle for a loss. Like oh yeah. Whatever. But it was like it was built off a counter read and then the option too was an in the round back the other way. Like <laughs> Lance read it wrong. Like he should have ran the counter with the, mm-hmm. with him as the quarterback running it. Uh, but he instead gave the hand the end around flip and Martin, you know, made that play on it. But I just thought that was like absurd, you know. Yeah, that's probably Kyle Shanahan just trying to do a little bit too much and just put too much on his plate. I mean, like like I said, like he's played two football games in the past two years. Like, and like, yeah, he's gotten to sit this entire season, but sometimes just like the best experience can be kind of in-game experience. Um, and being in the heat of the moment and having to make that split second decision and, and read the defense and get it right. So I think 
it's definitely something to interesting to, to think about um, and to point out for sure. But um, I don't think it would be like, like I think they would be dumb to go away from the running game just because he hasn't been kind of um, that great so far. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that, especially if he has to play some sort of playoff games too. Um, but I, I like I'm excited for Lance to be good because I think like athletically all the tools are there and the profiles there. Uh, he just hasn't been good yet. But yeah. I think a quarterback like that playing Kyle Shanahan offense is you know like a next level sort of thing that hopefully we get to see next you know two years or next year three years as people who just you know love the game of football. So I had a, a couple kind of like quicker questions for you um, to end tonight's show, and also I need some some draft guys to watch as well. Once the the Super Bowl comes around, football you know comes to a close to kind of flesh out the springtime for me. So my first question for you is: Would you keep David Coley around for 2022? Oh Lord, um, no. <laughs> um, I've I've never really been a fan of the David Coley hire. I think you know looking at his resume compared to kind of the other guys that were talked about as head coach guys and even the guys that the Texans looked to interview, it just couldn't stack up whatsoever. And I think the one thing he had going for him is, okay, he's got experience. Maybe he can be the motivator, the delegator, the culture guy. But this man is just a horrible NFL head coach. He's a horrible head coach. (laughs) And he's a rookie. I get he's going to struggle. But, I mean, the in-game decision-making has been horrendous. You've got him saying wild things in press conferences. The team culture can't be that good when you're only winning four games, no matter who your head coach is. It really just can't. And so I don't think he's the – I never thought he was going to be the, the long-term um, option. I was willing to give him a chance. Everyone deserves a chance. Um, but I think it's pretty easy to see in one season that he's kind of not the guy, and I, I would love for them to go elsewhere. Yeah, it'd be kind of nice to like a younger guy they can kind of grow up with as, as a team instead of like him kind of building everything out and kind of hand the keys over. Um, I know that you're still in school, Jordan. Do you have any like guys in your classroom, in your class, who are like, you know, 32 or 37, you know, trying to get? And, like, there's something bad about getting your degree late at all. That's how like David Coley seems to me. He seems like like a 47 year old college freshman, you know, <laughs> somebody who's in the military for 35 years and like is retired. It's like, yeah, I guess I'll I'll go to I'll go to college for four years. You know, it sounds like a fun thing to do. That's a great analogy. I don't personally, I don't, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I have had actually in one of my elective classes I did, I had this woman and I was taking Italian and she was like, at least in her late fifties, maybe. I was like, wow, this is kind of like, it's kind of impressing to see someone that old just kind of go at it. But I mean, she wasn't very good at Italian and David Cully isn't very good at coaching the Houston Texans. So, I mean, maybe there's some sort of correlation there. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely with you. I think they should go younger. I wonder how you say nachos in Italian, you know? That's a good one. I don't know that one. Didn't learn oh, that one. Nachos, you know? I don't know. All I know about <laughs> uh, Italian is that I like watching Sopranos. That's all I know about mm, it. You know probably uh, similar amounts as me because I bullshitted my way through that course. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I feel the same way about Coley, too. Like, I just don't. Like the culture, I think maybe was established this past year, but it'd be one thing if the the mistakes are just too egregious, you know. Yeah. Like whether it's like the end of half stuff or the fake fake punt or the mistake he made against Cleveland or his like his uh, ability to like manage timeouts and everything else that goes along with it. I just think with with how bad it was and like the, how egregious the mistakes were, I just don't think you can bring him around for another year. And I think too, like if you're a free agent and you're looking to yeah. use the Texans as a springboard spot. They didn't do a very good job with some of these guys. Like I think like maybe Malik Collins and Grugier Hill are the two guys who maybe will get a bigger contract from here next year than they would have gone somewhere else, you know. But I just don't think it provides this sort of opportunity either. Um, so my next question here for you is what is your favorite Deshaun Watson trade scenario? So if you're the Texans and you're trading Deshaun Watson, 
which one is like are, are you most looking forward to or which team would be on your radar right now um i know the dolphins have been kind of the only team that he's seemingly wanting and, and to we'll, and we'll ignore his stupid no trade clause also. okay okay and so i was okay so hypothetically then i feel like um a team like the giants or a team like the eagles has the most draft capital to trade for him and so those would be my two options i believe they both have i know the giants definitely have two top 10 picks i think the eagles have one top 10 and then one in like kind of the um in the teens somewhere so those would be my my options um i don't really in terms of like players like there's not many players i would really like realistically think that like oh let's go after this guy because like these teams they're not going to want to trade picks and players for for Deshaun Watson, especially with all the legal stuff going on. So I think just mainly focusing on picks. Get as many first-round picks as you can get, second-round picks, even later-round picks. Just get as many as you can. I think New York and, and Philly would be ideally the best options. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, like, I'm all in the Giants. The Giants, as of right now, um, they are picking fifth, and they're picking eighth. Um, you mentioned the Eagles. Since they're a playoff team now, they'd be in the Miami win their games I guess the Eagles would be at 14th and then however they finish in the postseason too. Oh, yeah. So the Eagles have kind of dropped down. Um, the Jets are kind of interesting also. They feel like Zach Wilson isn't something they want to continue to experiment with because the Jets have the fourth and fifth overall pick or they may just try to build around it. But um, one of our listeners, Greg from Australia, he was saying that he listened to a Giants podcast and they were talking about why they probably won't be a big player at all in the Watson uh, situation because they only have $2 million in cap space next year. But they okay. could get rid of Blake Martinez and save eight point two million, and Sterling Shepard for four point five million, and Kyle Rudolph for five million. Like Bradbury, they could save twelve million dollars off of. And so, like, if they really want Deshaun Watson, I think they can make it happen. And so, like, for me, it's the Giants if you can get you know two top ten picks out of them and uh, and be able to, like jolt the rebuild already right now this year instead of kind of like pushing down for for later years too. And I just like I think the Giants are in such a spot where. You know, and Dale Jones would be the worst thing I think you could get back in a trade where there's some Tannehill potential there with him because he can throw the deep ball well at least. Um, and has arm strength and everything else too. But they've just been so bad for like seven, eight years now. I think the owner's frustrated. He's always cranky whenever you see any sort of interview he gives on the internet too. And so I think they're going to be kind of like in dire needs for a quarterback or they're just going to like be bad again for another year and then and then have cap space in 2023 and try to get a quarterback. But I think they've just been bad for so long. They they probably would, would want to make an emergency decision. Like to trade one of these picks and get a quarterback out of it, though. Yeah, I agree with you on that too. I think they should be a team to call around for sure because I don't. I feel like they can't possibly go into another season with Daniel Jones um, as their sole quarterback. Um, and I know their head coach, I think it's Joe Judge, is that what his name is? Um, I know he's kind of rumored to be on the hot seat a little bit. So there's some sort of pressure there where they need to get stuff done. Um, so yeah, I can see that. I think another team that's interesting is the Carolina Panthers. They've shown that they're willing to be aggressive. They're willing to make moves, trade draft capital to get quarterbacks um, such as this with the Sam Darnold trade. And so they don't have as many picks um, as the giants would this year, but they can always trade future picks. And, and maybe I mentioned earlier, I don't think we're going to get players back, but if we were to get players back, Carolina would have some good young um, defenders to potentially trade for. Maybe it's a guy like Dante Jackson, a cornerback or a safety, Jeremy Chin, someone like that. I don't think we would get Brian Burns or, or Derek Brown or anything, but they have some guys there that, that would be intriguing. So that'll be another team to throw out. Yeah. I think Carolina, you had to get like Chin, Chris Maddows, um, you know, Brown, they may not get burns because people love edge rushers so much. And mm-hmm. Brown hasn't like done much as a pass rusher all this year too. And so if you can get those three guys and then I know Jackson's going to be a free agent, they have JC Horn, 
who still hasn't come back. Mm-hmm. They have a ton of quarterback depth, depth too as well. Um, they're another team, but yeah, like I'm like, I don't know, like it never happens the way you want it to have happen, yeah. but <laughs> I really hope that, that he gets straight to the Giants though, because I think with those two top ten picks and then throw a little bit else or whatever. And then like even like Davis Mills, Daniel Jones competing for a spot. Too, <laughs> like it's not like the absolute, you know, worst thing in the world, but it kind of goes back to what we're talking about earlier, just getting some sort of competition there. And I think uh, that's another aspect as well, too, where there's some like your level of upside again, like Jones has been playing a bunch of bad offenses his whole career, playing behind bad offensive lines, and he's at least shown the ability to throw the ball deep, uh, you know, pretty well. And like their whole thing has never worked out with the Giants with them too. Yeah, if we get Davis Mills and Daniel Jones as our quarterback competition, I'm demanding hard knocks for the Houston Texans. I mean, come <laughs> on. The most boring quarterback room in the world, you know. Just, just sweater vests and talking very politely, <laughs> you know. Oh, my God. We, we don't deserve that. What have we done to deserve that? Um, so my next question here for you is, if you so let's say the Texans did make a trade where they had you know, two top 10 picks or whatever, and they end up trading down. Let's say if you're the Texans and you have picks number three, six and 15 which three players would if you're doing a mock draft one of my favorite things i see on twitter is whenever yeah. people give you their cute little mock drafts and, and you comment <laughs> on it so what would be your cute little mock draft if you have picks three six and 15 for the texans i'm a mock draft addict i people sleepwalk people sleepy i sleep mock draft so i love doing them i'll do them every day but three six fifteen three um assuming kind of the top two guys i mentioned before the edge rushers are off the board i'd probably go kyle hamilton I think he's the next best player, if not the best player. I think he's a top three guy. I don't really care about the order per se, but he's a safety out of Notre Dame, but he's six foot four, 215 pounds. So he's built like a linebacker. Um, he's super rangy. He plays free safety, strong safety, nickel corner. They put him a dime linebacker. He can really do it all. And he's kind of like this just elite athlete that like you have to have a good plan for him, but with his versatility and elite athleticism, like I kind of think he's like this year's Micah Parsons where like, Okay, positional value, off-ball linebacker with Micah Parsons, safety with Kyle Hamilton. Like, you're not going to take him that high, but like, if you have a good plan for him, like, he's just so damn athletic, like, he's going to make plays happen. So, I think he's the type of guy that you can kind of build the defense around. So, I'd take him at three. At six, I would go with offensive line. That's where I think, I mean, we talked about it. Um, that how big of a need it is. So ideally, if they can get a guy like Evan Neal, tackle from Alabama, if he's still there, or Kenyon Green um, from Texas A&M, those are two guys who you would love to watch because they just love to hit people, love to put guys in the dirt. They're big time run blockers, they're physical. And so they want to, you know, do the dirty work in the trenches. And we need that mentality for sure. Um, and then at 15, that one's a bit tougher. Um, but I guess I would probably want to go maybe a corner or a wide receiver, because I feel like those are two positions that we could definitely definitely use some impact guys at. Corner, I would look at maybe Andrew Booth out of Clemson or Ahmad Sauce Gardner. They call him Sauce. That's his nickname, which I think is pretty cool. Um, he's from Cincinnati. Those are both guys over six foot, can play man, can play zone, um, athletic, ball skills. Um, and then if you don't want to go a corner, I would go with a wide receiver. Um, really get someone who can can separate versus man coverage. I know that's something you talk a lot about with Nico Collins, and it's something that we lack. And Brandon Cooks can't keep catching these contested underthrown balls for for all his career, man. It's crazy. Um, so they need someone else there, need some youth. Um, I would go with Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State or Jameson Williams out of Alabama. These are both like really great athletes, can line them up at X, Y, or Z can run routes at all three levels. I mean, they're, they are really, really talented guys. So those would be the guys I would look out for at 15. I like it. I think it seems like it hits on like all three 
your needs here as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had I've had a few people talk to me about how like they're interested in Kyle Hamilton if it because it does look like they may be out on Aiden Hutchinson and Thibodeau depending on like what Jackson and Detroit do of course um, with how the top two picks go which is be like you know the Houston thing that have happened that we all may laugh at you know two or three years down the road like the Andre Diller ties Howard thing too yeah um, but you never know how that may work also so my uh, my last question for you tonight Jordan is who are some of your your guys in the first round of the upcoming NFL draft. And then are there any like first round pick possibilities that at the moment that you absolutely hate, like if Houston drafted this guy three overall, you would, you would have a meltdown, you know, but give me your guys first, give me the good part. And then I want the bad part right afterwards. Okay. The good part. I feel like I kind of gave you kind of my guys. I, I'm a real big believer in Kyle Hamilton. I think Jamison Williams out of Alabama, the wide receiver I mentioned, he's kind of like this, Will Fuller with better hamstrings and better hands type of guy, and and Will Fuller with who can stay on the field is a ridiculous talent. So I'm I'm very high on him. Um, in terms of some other guys to look out for, I guess if we if we wanted to trade down, say we only have three, say we don't get first round picks this year, we wanted to trade down um, and still pick up an edge rusher if we can't get Aiden Hutchinson or, or Kayvon Thibodeau. I think the guy to look out for is um, George Karloftis. I think you'll enjoy watching his tape. He's a guy out of Purdue. Um, he's kind of this really good athlete. He wins with speed to power. Um, his, his hands are like when his moves hit, like he looks like he's like a baby Khalil Mack out there, but it's just his hands are kind of inconsistent. And so apparently he's training with MMA fighters to try and get better with that. So I'll look out for, for him for sure. Um, and then the second part was guys I would be super angry with. Honestly, I can't really find anyone because I don't think there's anyone. I guess it would, the only thing would be if they reach on a quarterback um, and took someone like Sam Howell out of UNC or something. I just think he's he's kind of another guy like Davis Mills. We're like, yeah, if you surround him with this really good offense and load up on the offense, like, yeah, he can he can have some Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins seasons. But if you don't surround him, he's gonna he's gonna look horrible. So I think reaching for a quarterback would be the only thing that would kind of make me upset. Okay, that makes sense. I know the same thing happens. To, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to take a look at these guys here pretty soon. Mm. Uh, probably like a month or two once once the actual football comes to an end. I don't go through the same cycle every single time I watch any sort of draft stuff. Where I uh, I sit there and I watch it, I'm like, this is so bad. Like after watching like the NFL, like obviously yeah. these guys aren't bad at all. But when you watch professional football, and you just like watch these pass sets and watch these offenses, and you're like, none of this is real at all. This is all you know fake football compared to it, you know. So I'm excited to go through that same same like sort of thoughts that I always end up having to to go through whenever it comes to draft stuff. Oh, actually, I have one more guy. One more guy. My guy that has been kind of like my guy throughout this is is N'Kobe Dean. He's a linebacker for Georgia. Um, And he just reminds me a lot of like Darius Leonard, of of like Levante David, kind of these smaller off-ball linebackers that are just freak athletes. Um, He's a really great blitzer. He just plays like like an old school linebacker. Like he wants to hit people. He's got great instincts, great athleticism. He can go sideline to sideline. You can drop him in man coverage um, and kind of be okay there. So I think for me, he's kind of like a borderline top 10 guy. Um, and, and he's just been balling out. So he's, he's one of my guys for sure. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like he would be pairing perfectly with Cam Graje Hill. You know, that's what, that's yeah. what Camu needs to become a, something more than a Pro Bowl alternate. Uh, but we have one question from the chat. This from, Smooth grandma, and he wants us to talk beautifully about the Davis Mills speed option on third and one. And like I saw, I like I thought I imagined it because like that was a speed option, it wasn't a pitch. Yeah, it was a Davis Mills Rex Burkhead speed option. And the only thing, like it wasn't as funny, but uh, Tim Kelly chipping Jaron Christian, who like didn't need help chipping at all this game, which messed up his pass set, had him have, have to turn all the way back around, which leads to Farrell Brown ear holing Charles Amenahu 
after, and then Davis Mills like throws that go up and get it past to Brandon Cooks that ended up being negated. That kind of like changed this game a little bit too. But those two plays were the funniest plays from today's game and it should be appreciated. Yeah, man. I don't think like no one thought that that speed option was going to work. Rex Burkhead didn't think it. Tim Kelly, I'm sure not, couldn't even possibly have thought it, but even Davis Mills, I mean, that man took three steps after the snap and like, nope, you have it. You're going to, you're going to be one to get tackled. So it was horrendous. Kelly is, is gonna, he has got to be fired. There's just no possible way if they don't. I mean, I think like coming out of the huddle, I'd be like, we should have a mutiny right now. Yeah. Like we should, we should protest this play. We should kneel instead. Uh, and protest this plan they're about to have right here. You see how they set it up too. Like the the call is one thing, but they had Charlie Heck on the left side, and he was kind of offset, like not on the line of scrimmage, but kind of backed up a little bit, kind of more like a tight end. And then they had Barrow Brown on the right side, next to the the right guard, as on like the play side of the. Oh, the, so they the tackled play. over it. <laughs> yeah, like what what is going on here? It just makes no sense at all. It didn't make sense with the situation, with the personnel, nothing. Man, I didn't. I didn't catch that part of it. I, now I can't wait to watch it on yeah. Tuesday. Whenever I get the chance to load up the the UK VPN to actually watch the the coaches going to <laughs> for. Um, but so Jordan, tell us where we can find your writing at. I know you're doing a lot of draft stuff for the Sports Illustrate version that they have over there, and, uh, and how we can find you, how you can read you, because I know we'll need some stuff to read as soon as uh, the Texan season ends next week. You know. For sure, for sure. Um, the easiest way is to follow me on Twitter at Texans underscore thoughts. That's where I tweet all my stuff out. Um, writing for yeah, NFL Draft Bible at Sports Illustrated, doing a lot of draft stuff for that. And that's been kind of, you know, my saving grace away from the from the Texans season this year. So if you're if you're like me and you need kind of something else to think about to distract you and to get excited about for the future, then um that's the best way to to follow me and, and see my stuff. Cause I love writing about that stuff and, and breaking down the film of prospects and stuff like that. And and we'll do some stuff um with Matt later once we get closer to the draft. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm excited to do it. It was great uh, talking to you again. It's been been a long time. A lot of life has happened, but it's the way it works. You know, we're all busy all the time. Um, but until next time, thank you for listening to Red Radio. Uh, but we'll talk to you soon, Jordan. Thank you, Matt, once again for having me, man. It was always awesome talking to you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 